Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 99. And I'm on with another Nigerian woman. So this is going to be an episode of Black Girl Magic, and her name is Lola De Chambola. And you may have heard about her, but I'm going to just say welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Shadima. I'm happy to be here. So go ahead and introduce yourself to listeners in your own words. Um, I am a Yale graduate student, formerly technical project manager in New York, um, and I'm an entrepreneur. Nice. So what is your business? You said you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, so I am um, a bit of a social entrepreneur. I'm, I'm developing a few projects, but um, I am better known in the New York area for the Yoruba Cultural Institute and mm-hmm. the Nollywood Diaspora Film Series. Um, and these are projects that were part of my mission to sort of help people reconnect with their roots, um, learn more about where they come from, visit home more. And so through... Through both projects, I met a lot of people, not just Yoruba descended, but people from across the Black diaspora who really wanted to know more about African cultures, particularly Yoruba culture, um, people who wanted to learn the language, who, you know, use film to learn about the culture and to reconnect with home. Um, And so now I'm working on a platform that kind of expands on these ideas. Wow, that's awesome. It's eye-opening. It's so interesting how much I learn from guests that come on. I'm like, I had no idea that existed, but now that's in my (laughs) role. So I can share it with other people, and obviously people will hear it on the podcast. So that's wonderful. So one of the reasons I had you come on, Lola Day, of course, is because you were, you gained notoriety and is infamy the right word because of your experience? You said you're a Yale grad student. So what are you studying at Yale and what can you tell us what happened? Um, I am doing a master's in African studies and sociology. Um, I, my name was kind of thrown out into the world when I live streamed on Facebook um, an interaction with a student and Yale police, um, in which, you know, the students had called the police on me, and then they came and harassed me for 17 plus minutes. Um, yeah. That's yeah. what happened. That's what happened, and I was horrified. So my brother and I work for the University of Michigan. I'm a researcher, and he works in the office of the general counsel as one of the associate um, counsels there. And he sent me the link of the live stream. And (laughs) (laughs) so we're very Nigerian in many ways, right? And we were amused at how cool and calm you were. Not amused, but impressed by that. But then we were, it was funny to hear your accent, you know, when you were talking <laughs> to <laughs> with the police, uh, especially when the black police officer came and kind of 
felt his, it, it seemed like he was like holding his belt, indicating that he was the boss and that everything would be okay. So how mm. was your, I guess, just going to humanity, and this is one of the reasons that I started the podcast, how did all of that make you feel? Like any part of it, all of it, um, in terms of realizing that the student had called the police. And friends, just to catch you up, this was a white student. So that's really important in this. Um, it wasn't just a student. And you had fallen asleep in the common room in the graduate dorm. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, HGS, where I stayed, is um, is like this ancient, <laughs> majestic Harry Potter sort of building. Um, and so there's a few towers, um, you know, different wings where there's residential um, apartments for students or grad students and then there's academic um, and so it's very like closed off you have to have an ID to get in there um, but sometimes there you know there are time periods when the gate is unlocked um, but that's usually not the case at one o'clock in the morning so yeah. sure so um yeah, so I was taking a nap in the common room, which is where I often study, especially when I have like marathon of assignments due. Um, it's a really great place for me to hunker down and focus. There's, a lot of people, there's not a lot of people that use that space. It's on the 12th floor. There's a great view, nice big desk, big couch to you know lay out on. Um, so I really like studying there. So I had about two papers due like the following day and that was going to be my last day on campus. Um, and so, yeah, I was trying to wrap them up. <laughs> I was working on one in particular. I wanted to wrap it up that night, but I got tired. Uh, took Which is completely understandable. I'll get back up and get on it. Right? That's completely yeah, reasonable. Yeah, I get back on it in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I mean, even if it isn't, like, for me, it's like I pay rent to be here. Like, it's not even a conversation what I choose to do here if I'm not violating the rules. Right. Right. They gave us, they gave us like one rule about that room, which was you can't exclude others from using it. Um, and you obviously you have to keep it clean and maintain the space. Um, so, yeah, so I was tired and I took a nap and then the lights came on at a certain point. And, um, you know, she starts, like, announcing how, you know, inappropriate it is for me. I can't, I can't be sleeping there, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just kind of sat up and, you know, I was like, okay. You know, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I pray a lot. And um, I had prayed about those two days because I had to catch a flight early on Wednesday morning. And this was like 1 a.m. Tuesday morning. And I was like, well, I prayed for nothing to go wrong. And so this is happening. Therefore, this is part of God's plan. So let's just roll with it, you know. Um, and then, you know, everything happened. And I, I mean, I really, I think you asked, how did it make me feel? Yeah. Um, exhausted, I think. I think. I think exhausted is the word from that like from that night even now um, the, the, the it's kind of ruined my summer and um, it really delayed a lot of things that I should have otherwise been doing 
Um, I should have finished my finals that Tuesday uh, or that Wednesday, been able to, you know, land in Nigeria, focus on uh, my family, and then start planning my summer research travels. Um, that's, you know, that's kind of the plan that I had, right? And so with the whole thing, um, even before it blew up, just the fact that I was now not really able to focus on my work as well, when I got back up to the common room after the encounter with the police, sure. um, that meant that I was not going to finish my finals before traveling. Um, and so that meant I had to carry them with me to Nigeria and spend, you know, another two or three weeks working on that stuff. Um, in which I guess I could have asked for more time in retrospect, but I just thought I wanted to get them done and, and move on to the next thing. Um, so it's exhausting, you know, it's exhausting just dealing with like white tears and, you know, just like, I, I just don't want to have to deal with, you know, the nonsense. But that being said, I went into Yale knowing what kind of space it was, um, knowing what it means to be black in those spaces and knowing the kind of violence and aggression that black people experience in those spaces. Um, and, and there's a sense, you know, there's a sense in which I mentally prepared for, you know, for that and more before getting there. Not that I could have imagined something like that would happen, um, but having worked in corporate America, having gone to, you know, PWI undergrad, um, there's certain expectations, you know, that you come to have of white people who are um, less exposed to diverse populations. And, um, you know, it was important for me to go to Yale. It was important for me to, to do, you know, grad school, um, to do the program that I'm in. And so I went into that space with an understanding that I had to do what I had to do. Right? And I still have that, that mindset. Sure. So. So, so friends that are listening, a PWI is a predominantly white institution, and I can certainly relate to what you're speaking of, Lola Day, because I went to a PWI as well for my bachelor's and my master's several years ago. And it is, I mean, in undergrad, we had t-shirts that said Black at Michigan. We had them made, we paid for them ourselves because there were white students who didn't think we belonged there. Even though my admission letter, and I think yours says your name on it, yes. <laughs> Like, you were, you were admitted, yes. right? So there was... I did not break into the Hall of Graduate yes. Studies. That's right. Yeah, no. So there's never been a... It's given a key. This person took this person's spot. That's a fallacy. It's not real. Mm. It's delusional thinking because mm. they do not make mistakes. Very rarely. I think probably less than 1% of admission letters go out to the wrong person where someone is admitted they didn't, the institution really didn't intend to admit <laughs> that's not a thing friend so if you are listening or you know mm. someone who has said something like that please tell them to stop it because they sound ridiculous it's just not true um so universities admit students that they believe will thrive and do well at their institution regardless of their background and in spite of their background and including their background so that is not no one is taking anyone's spot um if anything, if we want to get into some historical accuracies, I would venture to say it's been the other way around for many, many years. And so as a result of that, so you had made a mention during the, in the video that I watched 
one of the police officers, I think it was the black one who said, everything's going to be all right. And you said, I know it will because my ancestors built this place, which is not inaccurate. That is a fact, right? So I think what's really important in these conversations specifically about race and diversity and equity and inclusion, which are not just buzzwords to me and likely to you, it's really important because this is life or death in many instances, is that we have to be talking about the same thing and we have to be factual. Like we need to look at historical context as a bedrock of these conversations because we can't be talking about things that just didn't happen and aren't factual. Um, that's really important. So, and you mentioned exhaustion. And so I also want to paint this picture for listeners mm -hmm. because there is the emotional exhaustion of being a person in the skin that you're in. What, even if you feel really comfortable in your skin, moving around as a person of color within spaces that have not historically been designed for you, have not historically been welcoming to you, and have forced you to be, I don't know, to come, you know, to be, to fit into that instead of being who you are. And so that can be, I was talking with some guests the other day and they were mentioning how black women in particular sometimes are called aggressive when we're simply being assertive or we're doing the exact same thing that a white man or a white woman has done. <laughs> you know, the exact same words are used, but it's perceived differently. Is that something that you can relate to something that you've experienced? You mentioned your uh, professional career being in New York. And so you're around a lot of, I would imagine um, a lot of different people. <laughs> Hi, I'm back. Sorry. Okay, perfect. No worries. I kicked off. <laughs> um, you were asking about black women being considered aggressive. Correct. Or simply being assertive. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's just part of that larger... Um, one of the things I'm very passionate about is language and how we use language and how we frame things. Um, and so... When we say, you know, that people say black women are aggressive, I always ask, well, who's saying that, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm not saying that. Black women around me are not saying that, right? And so our thinking is often framed um, in the perspective, <laughs> from the perspective of the people who and accept their mistreatment. Um, and so they will frame you in a way that is, you know, is useful for them. Um, but I don't, I know that, you know, black, a person trying to preserve their sanity and their health and their, you know, their human rights is not being aggressive. Like, that's ridiculous, you know? And so if I buy into um, the language of the people who need um, people like me to sort of roll over and accept mistreatment, um, then I would always be oppressed, right? I would always be mistreated. Um, and so that's why negating that human right and that our human value by calling 
it aggression when we demand to be treated as full humans um is a very violent act and um and it's pretty ridiculous and I, i think it's important that we don't accept any sort of language that dehumanizes us in any way yeah i agree it it also reminds me of when it's easier for someone to accept what i'm saying because the words that i'm using are a little bit more palpable for them to take in um or even that invisible someone is there are several women doing this kind of like white privilege um challenge and challenging white people to check themselves and do the work so that they can actually come alongside folks of color mm-hmm. in you know furthering humanity because the thing is we're at a a standstill and it's really ugly in the US. Uh, it's not great in other places also for a number it's really of reasons, ugly. <laughs> right? But it is really ugly and the underbelly, right? The cancer of of the US is racism. Um in many different forms mm-hmm. and it's happened his- systemically, it's happened institutionally, it's happened throughout history. So even celebrating I don't even know if we celebrate Columbus Day anymore or, you know, any <laughs> any holiday <laughs> indicating that somehow so we celebrate genocidal terrorists. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly is is the problem, right? And so mm. it's not about oh can't we just be namaste. No, that's not, you know, anything more mm. of calling it out as what it is is injustice, right? And I absolutely with that. So when it comes to things that people say and they think that they're being kind and they're really not. So I want to hear your thoughts on that because I'm sure you've had experience with microaggressions where it's little seemingly little things that people say that are kind of like a backhanded compliment and you're just like <laughs> do they really just say that so i can start i experienced this i'm from ann arbor i live in ann arbor again and i remember working at tj max when i was 15 16 and actually into college and i remember back in the day when people wrote checks uh for purchases and so you had to the security measure was to check their driver's license right or their state id and so i was writing their driver's license number on the check and i noticed that they live in Kalamazoo and i said oh i got accepted to a school in Kalamazoo but i'm decide i'm opting to stay here in ann arbor uh, to go to university and they said oh where did you get accepted to the central so central michigan is one of the state schools here and i said no way <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get accepted there. I got accepted to Kalamazoo College, which is a private institution. It's well regarded. And they said, "Oh, it's hard to get into Kalamazoo College." And I said, "Yes, it is." And I got in. And then I gave wow. them back the driver's license and they just looked at me like I had just killed their cat and that was <laughs> when really I should have been offended. and i was you know and i mentioned it to a colleague several years ago um because that happened decades ago and he mm. said well it wasn't it probably wasn't that big of a deal and he's a white guy and i said but mm. it was because the problem with racism is i don't know why someone's saying what they're saying you know if we didn't have racism then i could say oh well maybe they i don't know what i would say but 
I know that that was an underhanded compliment, them implying that, how did she get in? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that because I'm a black woman in the US. I, I already know mm-hmm. what they were thinking without I don't need to ask them to confirm. So I want to hear some of your thoughts <laughs> and inspiration, right? What were you thinking? Were you thinking I couldn't get in? You know, so um, they probably were thinking that I took the spot of one of their children or nieces or nephews or something. But anyway, um, right, because they could barely read or something. Mm-hmm. So what, um, what are your thoughts on some of the microaggressions you may have experienced? And the impact Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, you know, one of the things that I said um, in a letter to the administration or to the housing manager when um, this woman called the police on my friend in February mm-hmm. um, was that we have to deflect and ignore so many, like, acts of, like, psychological violence right right. like every time um people say things like that to us it really is you know an attempted diminishing of your goodness of your glory of your beauty of your power um when they talk about our hair our lips or our skin or our names um it's this fiber it's the fiber of america right it's the foundation of slavery and genocide it's the media you know that continues to portray black people in ways that are not um, multidimensional enough, that are not empowering, uh, and they're not accurate. It's an education system where you teach children that blackness began with slavery, right? And you don't right. teach them that black people built this country um, and much of, you know, and, and are responsible for um, the origins of, of science and so many things in the world and religions in the world. We don't teach that accurate history, and you give people a very, um, my new, you know, something like clip of history. Um, and then you reinforce that slave um, image with like violence in the media. And, you know, when you report crime in the news, like it's always, uh, it's, it's more heavily focused on like black crime. And there's just, you know, there's so many ways that you can sort of reinforce that idea that, you know, black people are inferior, um, you know, that, that we are violent, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think when people say these things, you know, they, and they, a lot of times they don't think they're racist because maybe they don't know that they're racist, right? Because right. they're not aware of the, the degree of programming and they don't know the actual, like, accurate history of the world. I think that when people, you know, anyone who knows the history of the world and the role that Black people have played in, like, so much of what we have today and, like, 90% of what America has, um, it would be really difficult for you to know that and still think like black people are inferior, right? Like if you, if you're aware of the contributions of people of color throughout the history of the, like, how would you even like fathom to think that, you know, we're not capable of getting into like basic, you know, we're not capable of getting into universities. We're not capable of doing anything good. Right. Um, right. people lack the knowledge of like the, the versatility and the multi, you know, the multidimensional, um, existence of black people right we're, we are not a monolith we're not one thing um we're you know I, I can't even tell you the population of black people in the world i wish i could say that but obviously um we outnumber and people of color generally outnumber 
um, you know, white folks in the world. So I think um, it's, a, it's really just a, a form of ignorance, you know, people are speaking out of that ignorance. Yeah. So what would you suggest um, that people do if they are interested in learning more? So, and by people, I mean specifically white people. What would you do, what would you suggest? Any resources that they can, um, because part of, and part of me doesn't want to ask this question and part of me does. And so listeners, I'll let you in on a secret. So there's a lot of pressure that I feel as a woman of color. And it is navigating spaces, always navigating spaces, right? And so as much as I, I found that many people started treating me differently when they realized that I didn't just post about yoga and essential oils and namaste and, you know, roses and unicorns or whatever, so to speak. When I started posting politically after, <laughs> right, I called myself the politi political posting patriot because I actually do care about the country in which I live. Um, I care about humanity, whether in the States, in Nigeria, in Uganda, wherever I've been. Um, and so I can't just, when people say ignorant, really ignorant, terrible things, like go back to where you came from. First of all, I was born in the US. So yes, I do have a home somewhere else. And yet that is not, if I'm in a job that I don't like, part of my responsibility is to speak up about the things that are problematic and hope that there's support around making it a better place. And so that's what people are doing. So the reason I'm on the fence about asking this next question is because the onus cannot continue to be on folks of color to provide non-folks of color with a map of what to do to become better and become more aware. Mm. The onus has to be on you to decide, okay, what can I do to become a better human? And what can I, what work do I need mm -hmm. to do to dismantle some of the systemic privilege, white privilege in particular, in which I was born? Um, so when you slide down the birth canal, if you're white, that is, it's not your fault, it's just what it is. So what you do with that privilege speaks to your character. Denying it doesn't mean that it's no longer there, right? So that's a, that's a huge thing to consider. And a lot of people who consider themselves church people or Christians, um, they understand that when you slide down the birth canal, you have sin in your life because you're a human. But there's a lack of understanding to that parallel, it's the exact same thing. So if you feel comfortable asking this, answering this question, what do you think that people who would like to be allies, and you're not an ally because you say you're an ally, <laughs> let me just put that out there. Um, what can people do to continue to understand, learn more, and grow more, and do the work? Um, I, I think, I can't really give like specific sources, yeah. but what I can say is that, um, sorry, I'm trying to make sure I'm on the right. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, yeah. But yeah. what I can say is that it's important for anybody who considers themselves 
you know, because I was an intellectual or a learned person, an educated person, um, to read multiple perspectives, to read from different perspectives. I, I, one of the things I've come to realize about America, um, America in particular, is that the, the, this, this, the lens through which Americans see things is so narrow, right? It's a very narrow lens of like this consistent white male patriarchal, like, you know, genocidal history. <laughs> you know, these are the people who have like, who own and who, who are sort of the gatekeepers of history and who get to decide like what's, you know, what's official history. Um, and so when you start reading from other people, right, just read from literature or histories of other people from other parts of the world, um, you start to realize that there's dimensions to things, right? I, I grew up in the U.S., so I went to, you know, American schools and I, and I, I, I read history through that lens. Um, and then I started to read when I went to college and beyond, I started to read from so many other lenses and that expanded my mind so much. Um, and it just makes it impossible to see things one way, right? To just sort of look at everything from this lens of like white, white um, supremacy, which is what it is when you have history that's being written by one group of people, right? And, and being fed to you from that group of people. Um, so I think at minimum, you know, people who, who want to be allies need to like educate themselves and it's really not sufficient to read like a white male perspective. If you want to be educated about like race in the world or people, you know, of different um, identities in the world, you need to read from those different identities. Um, and then the next step, once you've educated yourself is to educate white people around you, right? I think white people who want to be allies don't need to go and feed poor children in Africa. They don't need to adopt anybody, you know, from another race. They simply need to educate their parents, their grandparents, their friends, their cousins. Um, that is the most powerful way that you can be a white ally. Agreed. I agree wholeheartedly. It's, that's good stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like sometimes people are fully accepting of ignorance in the states like they're almost happy about it and ignorance doesn't mean stupidity uh ignorance simply means a lack of understanding of or a lack of familiarity with and there's not a drive or push for higher education and i don't mean in the formal sense like by going to university or graduate school I mean in reading. And so you make a really great point about it's important to read authors that are different than you um, so that you can have a new perspective because that's part of it. And doing your best not to take call outs personally. So if someone calls you out, I like to ask the divine, what of this, like, show me me, you know, in this. And sometimes it's not about me, it's about somebody else. So I've had an experience where a friend was really upset because I posted in a social justice book club, I said, this is where so-and-so can um, learn more about being a good human. And she took it out of context and said, why do white people, why are they the only ones that have something to learn? I was like, we're not even talking about that. I didn't even bring up white people. And this, I, he happened to be a white man that was making fun of more ethnic names that I didn't think was funny. He's also a comedian. And I've since come around and recognized that maybe I just don't like his comedy, but there are other 
points about him that are helpful. You know, he has been able to use his white male privilege in an appropriate way to kind of really ask people questions that maybe you and I wouldn't be able to do because of, mm. you know, how he's, ex he's accepted, whereas you and I may not be accepted in the same way. So uh, it's easy to get defensive when someone calls you out, but think about it. If someone's taking the time to call you out, especially if there's someone that's close to you, perhaps you may want to take a look at that um, because it will likely serve you well in the future if you're able to step back and not take it personally and not make assumptions, but ask questions and continue to do your own work. Because everyone, I mean, if you're breathing, there's work to be done. We all have just different work that we're doing, you know? So that's awesome. All right, question for you as we wrap up, because I want you to stay safe. <laughs> it's getting darker there. Um, you're a trooper, I appreciate you being on. So what, um, before I ask the last question, what, if anything, have we not covered that you feel is important for you to share with folks that are listening? Um, a good question. I don't know. I think um, I, like, I like the conversation thus far. I, I just think that it's, it's important for, um, for all people, you know, yes, white people in particular, but um, for all people to sort of think about what it means to be humane, um, what it means to sort of recognize the humanity in others. Um, I think that my incident was significant to me because of the history of police brutality. Exactly. Um, with an incident like that. But I think when you have a history of violence at the hands of police where people are literally murdered in cold blood. Um, and it's not, it's not something that can be taken lightly, right? You have to be on guard. You have to, um, you have to actively, you know, make decisions to keep us safe uh, and, and even to avoid police because even if you don't do anything, you know, it can end in murder and the person's death. Um, and so I think it's important to continue to keep that in context and talking about, you know, the act of calling the police on someone um, or accusing someone of a crime. You know, Emmett Till's accuser went to her, you know, almost went to her grave with the secret and then she finally admitted, I think on her death deathbed, that That's it was right. a lie, you know? And this is a, this was a child that was not only murdered, but, you know, basically tortured and killed in such a gruesome way. This was somebody's child. Um, this is a child that somebody toiled and labored for. I don't know the story of his mother, but I would love to imagine that she was in love with his father. And they, you know, made love and they bore a child and they were very happy about that child. They loved that child with all of their being, right? Um, and so when you take that, you rip that person away from their family. I, I mean, it's so, it's such a trauma. The trauma that Black people have endured in the U.S. and beyond because of racism, um, it's very real. It's, it, you know, scientists are talking about how it's passed down generations. It's very real trauma um, that you're inflicting on other people just because you lack humanity, just because you fail to see um, that they are fully human. 
And if the world originated, if humanity originated with Black people in Africa, then how could you possibly look at Black people as being subhuman? If every race, if every group of people came out of the DNA of Black people, how could we be less human than anyone else, you know? So um, I just, I think it's important for people to sort of learn what it is to be humane and to recognizing humanity in others. I love that. It's it's so true. When, you know, I, similar topic, but kind of different. I volunteer for an organization in town called Safe House Center, and we provide free resources and support for survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. And so it's all genders. It's very inclusive. And every time I'm on call and I actually have a call to make, whether, you know, like an, go out for outreach, whether I go to the jail or to the hospital, I always think in one moment, people don't employ the golden rule, right? There's a, when you are able, when you feel comfortable hurting somebody else, and that looks so different, right? There's a broad spectrum of what hurt is. And I like that you use psychological, I called like the circus of an election cycle, psychological assault. And we've been, there's been an onslaught of this psychological assault on so many aspects of humanity throughout right, this administration. And so when I fail to see who you are, then it's easier for me to hurt you. Why wouldn't I want to just take what I want from you, whatever that looks like, right? Because I don't see you. And when, you know, and I'm picking on men right now, you know, and I'm speaking in gendered language, when a man sexually assaults a woman in particular, or a man, another man, you, there's no way to see that person as your equal if you're doing that. We don't do these type of things with people that we see as our equal. So that student who had already called the police on another, that white student who had called the police on a black student just months before could not possibly have seen either one of y'all as equals, even though you all three got admissions letters from Yale University Admissions office or committee or whatever it is you all have your letters <laughs> so you all belong there so there's no way that she saw you as part of humanity because she wouldn't have done that because there wasn't a good reason to do that um i agree with that and i also want to say just i think that some people also deal with their own lack of self-love or self-esteem right. or you know whatever and so there's there's also this cycle of self-hatred that is perpetuated in my harming others. That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really important. So speaking of, to segue into something more positive and related to self-love, what do you do, Lola Day, for self-care? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I, I struggle. So, I mean, generally I work out, you know, I, I am very, um, I am very into like health, you know, healthy eating, healthy lifestyles. Um, so I try to make sure that my diet is clean. Um, so what that can mean is anything from, you know, I, I, my diet is mostly like plant-based. I try to get enough sleep, you know, 
I try to work out regularly, which I've been I've been struggling with this summer since I've been traveling a lot. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think that's mainly it's <laughs> mainly it. So now, right now, it's more so like about sleeping and eating well. Um, but when I, you know, when I'm back in the states or when I'm in a more settled space, it'll probably be more you know exercise i'd love to say that i do yoga but it's always been a goal of mine but it's always been something that i've only managed to like you know get done once or twice so totally well exercise awesome. yeah you know and it and it i feel like it's waves right like we do our best and we do what works for us and when we're able to introduce one more thing in we do that but sometimes it's just not it's just not happening. So sometime when we connect in real life, I'll drag you to a yoga class. That would <laughs> be then, great. I need and then, that. <laughs> and then we'll eat a healthy salad together. So I yeah. love it. Um, love it. So when you get back in the States, um, we'll talk more about this offline, but I definitely want to connect with you on a couple of things that I'm working on as well, because I think you'd be the right person to connect with on that. And hopefully you enjoy the rest of the time that you are in Nigeria with loved ones because that's a huge form of self-care oftentimes as well. So I'm glad that we were able to talk and I so appreciate you taking the time to connect with me and listeners on this podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm glad we were able to talk too. And I look forward to connecting and talking more. Absolutely. So I found uh, Humans of New York, and I told you during the pre-call that this was like perfect for what we were talking about. So this appears to be a young man, and it says, um, when I first moved here, I was living with my uncle in Brooklyn. He lives in a Jewish neighborhood. I accidentally set off his alarm one night when I came home. I couldn't defuse it. The alarm kept screaming, burglary, burglary, burglary. I was the only black person in the neighborhood at the time, so I panicked. I knew it didn't look good, and I didn't want to die in this movie. So the first thing I did was call 911. The operator was like, what's your emergency? I told her, I'm staying at my uncle's house, and the alarm is going off, and I need you to tell the responding officer to expect a black man. And she said, is your uncle black too? Wow. And, and I said, ma'am, all of us are black. Then I fixed up a bowl of macaroni and cheese, turned on all the lights, stood in the middle of the living room and waited for the knock. So friends, this is what we're talking about. This is real life for us. This is not a made up thing. We're not being overly sensitive. He didn't want to die. And all he did was something that many of us have done thousands of times, set off an alarm of a place where he lives, you know, with his uncle. So it's really important to take yourself out of the equation and really put yourselves in the shoes of somebody else to think about this from a different perspective as much as you can. And maybe you'll come out the other side realizing that this is a huge problem that still happens day in, day out. So thank you all friends for listening in, for supporting and loving this podcast, all of you from all over the um, parts of the world. And if you would like to support the podcast, I'm on patreon.com forward slash the type a hippie. And we are drawing to an end in terms of episodes. I will take a hiatus and I will let you know when I'm back on. 
I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us. So thanks again. My name is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie. This is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast, episode 99. Have a gratitude-filled rest of your day. Namaste.